If you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians, chapter 3. Our passage for this morning will be chapter 3, verses 22, as far as chapter 4, verse 6. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22. And we will read that portion of Scripture together. Verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters concerning the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not Unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And may the Lord give us the wisdom once again to understand the text before us. In our last study of the book of Colossians, we looked at chapter 3, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 21, in quite some detail, as a matter of fact. And in that particular portion of Scripture, we examine the Apostle Paul's teaching in relation to the Christian home and family when the major topic, or under the major topic, of a call to holiness we saw that the standard which God sets for the home is utterly impossible to achieve without his enabling grace and without first being born again of his spirit. In the earlier portions of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul goes to great extents and lengths in expounding the difference between the old man and the new man. And as we focus on what the Apostle Paul is saying, it becomes evident that what the Scriptures present should be the Christian's norm. And that is utterly impossible to be achieved by the old man. Or, in other words, by someone who is not a Christian by someone who has never been born again by the Spirit of God, no matter how hard he or she may try. Therefore, 
When the Lord commands, in verse 18 of chapter 3, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Wives who are in the Lord have the indwelling Christ to make this a reality, if they allow the new man to reign. Husbands are commanded to love their wives and be not bitter against them. Once again, husbands who are outside of Christ, no matter how well-intentioned they may be towards their wives, are utterly incapable of so loving their wives. And children are commanded to obey parents in all things because that is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Here as well we see how essential it is for children to be truly born again before they can put into regular practice this commandment. And finally, we looked at the Christian father's role in Colossians 3 verse 21. It is the most beautiful thing to see a Christian home in harmony with the teaching of Scripture. There is then the evidence of joy, peace, love, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, and faith. In such an environment, the soul can prosper, and Christ is glorified. But unfortunately, often it is not so. Today, so many Christian homes have become shipwrecked, and chaos and turmoil seem to be the norm. Families are breaking up. Children are being discouraged and churches are left wondering how to solve the ever-increasing carnage. And yet the solution to all of this is the same as it has always been. Christ must be the center of one's life. When a Christian leaves his or first love, disaster is sure to follow. In today's busy, hectic, and increasingly immoral world, this is so easy to do. In the Lord's warning to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we readily acknowledge that the first step to a Christian's downfall is because thou hast left thy first love and hast become lukewarm. And so we must all guard ourselves against that. Today, I would like to continue with Colossians 3.22 to Colossians 4, verse 6, still under the major topic of a call to holiness, but in relation to the workplace. Verse 22, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Please remember that at the time of writing this epistle to the servants, servants were mostly slaves who were under bondage and not free men who served for wages. Free men often when unhappy with their masters 
or their work have the freedom to pack things up and leave. But these servants, by and large, were bond slaves. Their masters owned them, body and soul. They worked when they were told. They slept when they were told. They ate when they were told. And more often than not, they were harshly disciplined, both physically and verbally, when their efforts were substandard. Slavery is the most ugly form of social and human oppression that mankind has ever invented. It shows only too clearly how evil the sin nature truly is. To take a man or a woman or a child and to so degrade that human soul, which was created in the image and likeness of God Almighty, is unspeakably debasing and evil. A slave had no rights. A slave could be killed on the spot by his master. No questions asked. No recourse to the Human Rights Commission. No access to legal counsel. A slave was without hope of ever regaining his freedom. And so it was easy to see how one's spirit could be broken and the will to live easily abandoned. Some slaves were born into slavery, while others who once may have been free men or women later may have been taken into slavery through some misfortune such as extreme poverty or spoils of war. To those slaves, bondage was especially cruel because they would have lingering memories of their days of freedom. Under Roman law, it was every Roman's right to own slaves if he or she chose to. And slaves came in all shapes and sizes and were bought and sold for different tasks. Some were domestic servants, others were given heavy, heavy labors, and still others had the misfortune of being gladiators fighting each day for their lives. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ say, uh, was preached, heard, and believed, that slave was no longer the same. His or her soul was set free. His spirit had new life and his heart was given a new master to serve, one who deeply loved him and cared for him. His life now took on new meaning. There was now hope where there was once despair. There was now joy and peace where there was once sadness and war. There was now a purpose and a plan for his or her life where once there was none. It is to these slaves these servants that Paul was writing to brothers and sisters in Christ who were still in slavery. And the message to them was not as the world would have told them. Slaves, rise up, throw down your shackles, you have rights too. But rather the message was, servants, 
Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. The Apostle Paul admonishes them to be faithful in their duties, to do them to the best of their abilities so that their service to their earthly masters might glorify their heavenly master, seeing as now they have a new master. They were to be faithful to their tasks, both in the presence of their earthly masters and in their absence. And all that they did, they were to do it heartily, heartily, heartily with all their hearts, as unto the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. What an encouragement this must have been to these slaves or servants, to know that now they have a new and wonderful master who cares and watches over them. And though their circumstances may not be even one iota different or better, they know in their hearts that their standing has changed. They are now in Christ, and as such have a new and wonderful inheritance to look forward to one day. Theirs is now a glorious and heavenly future and calling, and all the wrongs that have been committed against them will be righted some day by the righteous judge who sits on the throne of heaven, and it is no respecter of persons. It is now their heavenly affections that ease the pain of their servitude here on earth, and the grace of their loving God, which is sufficient for all their needs, and the peace of God that keeps them calm while in the midst of life's storms. And oh, how this should speak to all of us here this morning. We are all servants one to another. If we are Christians, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be our joy and privilege to serve one another faithfully and to the best of our abilities. But we also have earthly masters or bosses that we serve. And as children of the Most High God, we need to be exemplary in our labor. We need to be honest, not cheating or stealing our wages from him, whether in time lost from work or poor effort, or wrong attitudes or just plain carelessness. We must remember that we are serving our Heavenly Master even though, even though we have earthly masters. And how are we serving our heavenly master? Why, through our earthly tasks. Let me also instill a cautionary note here. If we believe that the Lord was instrumental in giving us our job, then we need to be especially more conscientious. Nevertheless, let us not be deceived. Not all jobs are compatible with the Christian walk, and we need to be discerning in those areas. 
But that is not to say that just because our jobs are boring or perhaps don't pay as much as we would like, they can't be of the Lord. If we appreciate what the Lord has done for us, then we will appreciate our jobs. If we are careful with our money and follow biblical principles, then we will have enough to meet our needs. We need to guard against covetousness, for there is always a better job. There is always a better pay, but it may not always be in the will of God for us. Then the Apostle Paul turns to the masters in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that is which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And then if we compare that with Ephesians 6, verse 9, we get some more detail. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, Neither is there respect of persons with him. What a joy it must have been to the Christian servant to have a master who was also a believer and walking with the Lord. How rare, yet how marvelous it is today to be in such a privileged position, to be a believer and to labor under the authority of a believing master. But alas, Often there is chaos and turmoil in the camp, even under the best of circumstances. Often the believing servant is slothful and unconscientious at his or her labor and consequently brings grief to the master, eventually leaving him no choice but to fire the servant. In other circumstances, the master may have forgotten from whence he has come and who his heavenly master is and consequently abuses his or her privileged position of authority, albeit unintentionally. Sometimes personalities get in the way of our service to others, little annoying habits. These need to be corrected once we become aware of them. If we are truly in the Lord, then we will do everything we can to bring honor and glory to our Savior, who paid such a dear price for each of us. Masters are admonished to give their servants a just and equal reward for their labor. The master is not to withhold or delay his servants' wages. An honest day's pay for an honest day's wages. Whatever has been promised needs to be paid. And how sad it is to hear today that some Christian organizations have the unbiblical view that Christian servants somehow should work for nothing or work for less because they are working for the Lord. Well, dearly beloved, the Lord is gracious and kind and merciful. He is grieved when his children are unruly and disobedient to his commandments. Much of our time is spent at the workplace. It ought to be spent conscientiously, diligently, and joyfully, doing all our labors faithfully 
as unto the Lord. Paul continues in verse 2 of chapter 4 in the book of Colossians, Continue in prayer. Watch in the same with thanksgiving. You see how carefully the Apostle Paul presents his epistle? Prayer is such a vital part of our walk with the Lord, and yet there is a danger of forgetting it in the midst of a stressful workplace. We are to continue in prayer even while we are at work. Is there an injustice being committed to us? Then we are to take it to our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Master, in prayer. Is there a lack of wisdom or knowledge concerning a certain task or labor? Then we are to ask our Heavenly Father, and it will be given us. Have we financial burdens? Then we ought to plead our case to our Heavenly Father to show us what we need to do. And sometimes the solution is as simple as tithing. Often Christians find themselves in dire straits because they have neglected to give the first fruits of their labor to the Lord. The Christian walk is not an easy walk. It is rather an impossible walk, a walk that cannot be accomplished without first being born again of the Spirit of God. Then, as we study the Word of God carefully on a daily basis, and allow the Spirit of God to lead us in accordance to it, we are able to experience the newness of life, which the Scriptures so often speak about. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, <clears throat> if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if we are in Christ, then says Colossians 2.10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power. And Philippians 4.13 reminds us, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Then, and only then, are we able to put into practice the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, we are to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Christians need to be in a state of prayer and readiness for prayer continually. We are to continually be in communion with Christ our Savior if we wish to be led of his Spirit. We are to watch for every opportunity in our hectic lifestyle to pray. That is the gist of this passage. And every prayer that leaves our lips should be intermingled with thanksgiving because of his bountiful blessings and new mercies each morning to us. A heart that is filled with gratitude to the Savior for his kindness, goodness, and mercy to us is more apt to obey his commandments and to obey them more joyfully. Then in verse 3 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul draws our attention to those who minister the word of God, 
when he says, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Herein lay the secret to the Apostle Paul's ministry. It was his utter dependence upon God to do the work of conviction and conversion in the hearts of men. And his means of achieving a successful ministry was through the vehicle of faithful prayer. There is perhaps no other character in all of the entire Bible that was as effective and consistent in prayer as the Apostle Paul. Nearly every prayer, every epistle which he has written to the church begins with a heartfelt and fervent prayer for the saints and the work that they were involved in. And also thanks to God the Father for his part in their care. For example, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? And that comes from Colossians 1, 3 to 5. Um, that is the prayer that the apostle wrote and of course, his powerful sevenfold prayer uh, that we discussed in verses 9 to 14. And so in chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, the apostle appears, appeals to them to pray for him in return. And all those who minister the gospel, what were they to pray for him? that God would first open the door of opportunity and secondly, give them, that is the apostle and the ministers of the gospel, give them the ability and the courage to speak the mystery of Christ. All too often today, many who profess to be ministers of Christ are sent to the battlefront by men and organizations to do spiritual battle. They are poorly equipped and poorly prepared. It is no wonder that the churches today have left Christ outside their doors. Well-trained and well-educated ministers of the gospel are insufficiently prepared for this kind of work that the Apostle Paul was talking about. This kind of work to speak the mystery of Christ for which he was in bonds required so much more than good training and good education. It required a complete surrender of body and soul to the service of the master, empowered and led by the Spirit of God, energized and sustained by love for Christ and the desire to see him glorified in one's life. It would require a humble and a meek spirit, ready and willing to be taught of the Lord himself, and at the same time, to gladly give one's life for the cause of Christ. 
In his last epistle to the church, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. At that day, And not only to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. At the time of his writing this epistle to Colossians and to Timothy, Paul was already in Rome in prison. He was a prisoner at Rome because of the violent opposition of malicious Jews. The early church suffered horrific persecution and opposition from both the religious authorities and from the government of the day. To be an active testimony for Christ in those days was very short-lived. Christians paid with their lives if they professed and proclaimed Christ. And so in verse 4 of chapter 4, Paul tells the Colossians what he would have them to pray for. Not that the Lord would somehow deliver him from his bonds, that is, from prison, but rather that he might be able to make manifest the mystery of Christ as he ought to speak, that he might make the gospel known to those who never heard it before in such a way that they would understand it. Now, the Apostle Paul knew how to speak publicly or privately as well as any man. He was very educated. But this was not enough. He needed God to give him both wisdom and opportunity to speak the marvelous things of Christ to others. If God prepares the hearer's hearts and directs the speaker's speech, then there will be fruit. He then concludes this portion of scripture with two commandments in verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Be careful how you conduct yourself before the unbeliever. Do not resort to the old man to win them over. The unbelieving would judge the unbelieving world judges very sternly those who profess to be Christians but do not demonstrate the fruits of their profession. And always be gracious in your conversations with the unsaved. Do not argue or strive with strong words, for this is of the flesh and will accomplish little. But just as your speech must always be with grace, so it must also be reasoned or seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. Sometimes there is the danger that a gracious man 
might become too nice, too weak, and lack the courage to speak out faithfully. The word of God in rebuke when it is necessary. And we know that we've been in that position many times ourselves. It is a fine line that the Christian must walk in distinguishing the difference between the spirit of criticism and the spirit of discernment. We desperately need the salt of righteousness today in order to speak the truth in grace to every man. And so Paul concludes the rest of the chapter, verses 7 to 18, by bringing to remembrance all of their fellow laborers in Christ and a brief word of greeting to the church at Colossae. Once again, as he concludes the epistle, he he admonishes them to remember my bonds. Since our time has run out again, we must conclude our message here. But you know, as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this solemn question. Are you saved? Are you in Christ this morning? There is no middle ground. Either you are saved or you are not. The Bible says in Romans 8, 9, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That is the test. The saved all have dwelling in them the Spirit of Christ. This morning we sang, Christ liveth in me. And that should be the song of all Christians. Oh, dear friends, these days which we find ourselves in are so dangerous, so uncertain, so fearful. If you have never been truly born again of the Spirit of God and trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, won't you do so now? He alone paid the penalty of all our sins by going to the cross of Calvary and shedding his pure and perfect and sinless blood as full atonement for those sins. And he is still in the business of saving souls even today. Receive him now if you haven't done so already. And if you are saved, are you faithfully living for him? If not, why not? Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this book to the Colossians written by the Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And oh, how it speaks to us even today. Some 2,000 years later, it is still as relevant today as it was when the day was written. Help us, Lord, to learn from these things, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior each day. And now, Lord, we ask thy blessing upon this little assembly and ask thee to part us with thy blessing, keeping us from harm's way and from sin. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again next Lord's Day to bring us together around his table once again. For we ask it always in his name and for his glory.
Amen. Thank you.